Good morning. Welcome to The Brecky Show, Positive Different News. You're on Faith FM all around Australia. We're listening on 87.6, 87.8 or 88. This morning, what's today? Thursday the 3rd? Oh, look at me go. And you are with Minnie and... Renee! Hello, Minnie. Hello. Okay, Renee. Yes. How are you feeling? What are you thankful for? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, Minnie. Um, You're welcome. I'm I'm very grateful um, that we actually had breakfast this morning. And by this morning, she means like... A minute before the show, we were like, we got a minute. <laughs> we were rushing into the studio. But this morning, we woke up early. We came in a bit earlier. We cooked breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnie, myself, and our producer, Liam. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, it, was, it was really yum. Oh, so yum. We definitely have leftovers. I'm pretty full for now. But how good is Table Fellowship? Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, I remember someone said to me years ago, oh, wait, let me get this right. It was essentially along the lines of, Think of all the people that you would consider a friend. Mm. Now, how many of them have you not shared a meal with? Oh. Right? Like friendship and food. It just goes together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, a great way to get to know someone is like, oi, let's get a meal together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, anyway. So, yes, we had a great break this morning. I'm also thankful for that. Oh, goody. <laughs> Waking up this morning, I was a little bit like, no, nah, I wasn't tired. Today was a good morning. I was like, I got time to sleep in. If I sleep in, Renee, Renee and I both woke up at like five. five. <laughs> 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 I slept until five and yeah. Yeah, no, also it was great though. Um, actually, yeah, you guys should call us in sometime. Just let us know what, what your favourite way to do brekkie is. Do yeah. you like eating alone? Do you not eat brekkie at all? Liam often doesn't eat brekkie. No. I sometimes don't if I'm running late, which yeah. Yeah. is often. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm either or, but I do prefer company. Oh, and and this morning was really cool. <laughs> life is always better together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My my friend, her favorite word is with. Let's do life with, with each other. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Tell us some positive news, Renee. Oh, I'm glad you asked because I did prepare some. Yeah, that's um, what I want to hear. <laughs> Yeah, prepare earlier. <laughs> here, um, if I refer back to my notes here, uh, a first story I wanted to share is um, a business that supports garment workers in Bangladesh by selling surplus clothes. Now, big me- uh, many big retailers have had to cancel clothing orders due to lockdowns. Shops oh. have closed. Uh, maybe uh, shop hours have also changed. And so, you know, not much uh, people have been coming in to, to, con- to buy consumerism or all that kind of stuff. Um, so... Basically, there's this business called Lost Stock. And what Lost Stock does is it sells surplus items direct from, uh, direct to consumers and it supports garment workers in Bangladesh. Mm. So shops across, across the Europe and US closed due to lockdowns and many retailers have had to cancel orders, like, like I said, um, leaving factories with piles of surplus stocks. Um, and then, so then they're unable to pay staff because mm. th- this stock hasn't been sold. So during the first lockdown, all Orders worth more than $2 billion were reportedly cancelled or suspended in Bangladesh alone. This is, yeah. That's a lot of mullah. A lot of, lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here we have Lost Stock, uh, which is an impactful retail business that sells boxes of clothes, surplus clothes, from the manufacturers in Bangladesh directly to customers in the UK. So it provides factories with the much needed revenue um, and workers with money to provide uh, to, and feed for feed their families. Um, the founder, Kelly Russell, told Positive News, we focused on Bangladesh because their economy is so reliant on clothing manufacture and there isn't really the same support network you'd find in other 
other countries. Um, net, lost, uh, lost stock, they aim to sell 50,000 boxes of surplus clothing by the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. However, by August, the company had more than doubled that number. And it's been since starting selling boxes to customers in Australia here here at home uh, and in USA and some parts of Europe and um, Russell uh, Carly Russell the uh, the um, uh, Carly Russell basically she says we hope that corona coronavirus will actually um, build a better world for all of us because we think about things differently you know mm. um, what we've seen in this project is that it's a time that at a time of hardship in the world peace our people have been deci- have decided to do some good things with their purchases mm. so I think that was that's really thoughtful that's very um i love that she's absolutely right during this pandemic we've seen people reach outside of themselves and help those around them and 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 this was this was uh this company reaching out to uh, like understanding the struggle in bangladesh that is their main uh, you know form of e- economy that's a big big yeah. uh, area where they they get a lot of their income and so that was that was really good and you're right i think it has been a really interesting space because it's kind of flip normal on its head for so many people all around mm. the world. Yeah. And we kind of had this moment of, well, it's been an interesting space, right? Because mm. on one hand you kind of have this selfish level of, Mm-mm, don't you come near me? Not, yeah. not that that's bad, but like a very, what's it called? Like self-preservation. Yeah. So there's been that, but then there's also been this, whoa, we could do life differently. Yeah. And just I think people, um, maybe observant is the wrong word, but I guess being more observant mm. to the needs of other people mm-hmm. Because we're seeing, hey, even though it's not like the bubonic plague or, yeah. you know, we're not in war, <laughs> there's this element of there's a same-sameness, you yeah. know, that yeah. you're experiencing this, I'm experiencing it, we're all experiencing Oftentimes when people go through hardship, it's very individual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if, I don't know, if there's a death in the family, people can yeah. grieve for you, mm-hmm. but they haven't felt it. Whereas this is something that we're like, well, we're we've, all here. We've all been in lockdown. We all haven't been able to go here. We've all, you know, like <laughs> the solidarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we all feel it. Mm. Um Furthermore, uh, just one more story that's yeah. kind of on the line of, of retail and and all that. Um, this happened in the Gold Coast, actually, pretty local, I mean, in Australia. Basically, um, a good Samaritan anonymously, anonymously pays $16,000 worth of customer lay-bys at a store. So wow. some anonymous people have paid off basically the lay-by uh, items at a toy store toy store in Queensland Gold Coast um, and it's it's been a very I think of the the people who have discovered that you know their what they've put down on lay-by has been paid off has been such an, an emotional um roller coaster for them I think they're they're experiencing the generosity of this stranger mm. um the employees who witnessed these people that they said there was about three, there was three women in their late twenties, early thirties who came into the store, um, paid off these lay-by items. Mm. Um, and they just let, they just wanted to tell the, um, you know, workers, whoever asks, just let them know that we're Santa's helpers. Um, oh, so good. You know, it's uh, a, a woman who put down a $60 deposit on a $300 dollhouse. Um, she, she called, she found out that, the the gift had been paid out in full she said that it massively helped her because she's a single mum it was so yeah. generous she she almost cried so she says it goes to show that there are so many good people out there it's definitely made a bad year into a good year and that's for sure 
a lot of people saying I would give them a hug if I could. Mm. Um, uh, not only did they do that, they came in, they paid for the lay-by items and they came back an hour later um, going with, uh, they chose a, a random person who was going Christmas shopping and just, and actually paid for everything uh, that person purchased it totaled about four thousand four thousand dollars uh for that person's uh, shopping so you know they're they're out here just a lot of people doing some random acts of kindness that is really inspiring to see and there is something cool to the anonymity as well yes like I'm the person, if you did that for me, I'm like, no, but who are you? I'm like, no. <laughs> but there's something when you're the one giving it, it's kind of nice to be like, no, no, it's just it's just for you. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Something I've been thinking about uh, quite a bit recently, just in conversations with um, some people from my small group, is what does discipleship look like? Because mm. we speak about it, right? We speak about the importance of it. We speak about the fact that Jesus did it and he called us to do it. Yeah. Mm. I don't mean for this to be a criticism, but I don't know that I've seen it often done well. doesn't mean people don't do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's not that we can't do something if we haven't seen it, but it can help to get that model of, oh, that's a step we could take. I like what you're saying. I I think you're absolutely right, especially – during Jesus' time and before that, disciples was a common thing. Everyone knew what a disciple was, yeah. what they looked like. Uh-huh. We don't do that. We know what, like, we, we often, like, uh, uh, associate it with, like, followers yes. or, or Facebook friends, yeah. like that kind of. <laughs> we have that. Yeah. I don't have a – last time I checked, I don't have a disciple. I've never been a, a disciple for um, – <laughs> Anyway, you yeah, know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Like, like how, how it was back in, in Jesus' time. Yeah, yeah. But it'd be good to, to... I wonder what would be, and I have no idea, this is only a, just a question I'm asking right now, what would be a modern day, um, what's that word I want? Like word. What would be a word that we would use that would make sense? Yes. Because we could say a follower, but that tends to be in the context of social media, which is not exactly what we mean. That's not, no, no. that's true. And. That's probably why we should read we the should book. We should read the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, guys, maybe you call in, you can read the book, give us another call and be like, hey, let me break it down for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Help us. No, but actually. Mm. Okay, so into news stories. This was a bit of an interesting one. So Molly Gibson is only a month old. However, she could have been born at any time, potentially, over the last 27 years. Oh. Right? Hmm. So, her embryo was frozen from October 1992 to February this year when it was adopted by a Tennessee couple. I actually didn't know that you could freeze embryos for that long. Mm. I, I don't know what I thought. I think they just would be, what's it called? Not invalid? In, ah, uh, I forgot the word, but I just, and viable? I didn't think that'd be viable anymore. Yeah. Look, like, I, I kind of like expired? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you okay. know, it's just like you have, I don't know, something in the fridge and it's been there too long. You're like, mm, it was good, now it isn't. I just kind of assumed. Yeah, yeah. This record was previously held by Emma, who actually happens to be her older sister. Oh. She, her embryo was frozen for 24 years. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty solid amount of time. So Tina Gibson is the mother. Um, who's who adopted these embryos. So she became pregnant both with Emma and Molly with the help of a National Embryo Donation Centre. This is interesting. It's a faith, faith-based faith non-profit in Knoxville. It stores frozen embryos in vitro fertilisation patients have decided not to use. Mm. Um, families can adopt these embryos. Now, I find this really – I find this a really interesting story. So off-air, before we came on, on the show, we are kind of discussing – I guess what the 
ethical implications of this. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have an answer, by the way, because on one hand you could say if you if you chose not to use them because they are an embryo, and if I believe that a child is like an embryo, it's a, it's a first it, that's going to become a child unless you miscarry, but that was still a child, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. So if we destroy it, is that abortion? But if it just dies itself, you know, that's, you know, like if, as I said, um, it being frozen, it doesn't, you know, doesn't take, doesn't um, implant or whatever. At the same time, then there's other questions about like, okay, but if they, oh, actually, hold on, we'll come back. We'll hold that thought, come back to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So before these embryos, it was hard to say how viable these embryos this old could be. Apparently, around 75% of donated embryos do survive the thawing. Only 25 to 30% of implants are successful, mm. which I guess is still an okay statistic. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, exactly <laughs> anything about statistics. Mm-hmm. But um, the couple, they had struggled with infertility um, for quite a while, and initially they had their heart set on, on just traditional adoption. Um, but after her parents, I think, suggested this embryo adoption, their path changed unexpectedly. And obviously they're so stoked. You know, they have two beautiful girls. Um, she was able to carry them, you know, full term. I have never had kids. I don't know that experience. Mm. I know some of my friends just reckon it's the best. I have other friends who reckon it was the worst. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess I guess it's a question of is there one that is more, I don't want to say right, but better or more ethical or something than another, right? So there's adoption, which we typically would go, oh, but that's a real child, you know. uh, Kid needs a family. Family is wanting a kid. Like, well, child, I should say, you know. (laughs) But, you know, let's just bring them together, make them the family. Except that if we're going to use the argument of but if an embryo is still on its way to being a real child, then that is just as valid, yeah? Yes, yeah. And it just creates this whole bunch of questions that some people are going to be very anti Mm -hmm. and some people are going to be very who cares and some people are going to be like, ah, what's the big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, Do mm, do you have any thoughts, Renee? Um, I think they often – are they comparing abortion and – what do you call it? What 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 is it called when you, I guess, when you don't use the um, the the <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I can't say anything. Natural, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah. Natural conception. Mm. That's it. Um, I actually don't even know what I'm saying right now. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's it's kind of and um yeah. Obviously, these guys are a family. That's awesome. Um, it's just an interesting perspective on. Like this is looking at adoption, mm-hmm. but it's not as this says. It's not traditional adoption. It's not what we generally think of. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Do you think there's a point where we go too far? Right. What so do you with mean? this, so with this, we have the technology to do this. Yes. For thousands of years, this was never going to be an option. Yeah. You know, just never. Yeah. Like it was just people wouldn't know how. People didn't have the resources. Yeah. I guess it's the question of just because we can doesn't mean we should. Are you talking about... Um, so freezing these eggs for yeah. this long? Uh, not the eggs. Freezing the embryos for this long because that's a bit of a different thing. Yeah. Just because we can do that, yeah. should we? Yeah. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 
yeah, I'm not. I, I don't want to just throw out the uh, the embryo. That's a baby. That's yeah. in my eye. In yeah. my eye, I haven't done my probably anyway. But yeah, that that just I don't know. My heart's a bit like oh yeah. But I know, and for me, I think I'm a bit. Sim- I'm with you as well. I'm like, if it was frozen eggs, that to me feels a bit different. Yeah, that doesn't. I mean, yes, it could become a child, but it's sort of not, yeah. right? Yeah, like. But um, um, I don't know. There are, don't you think this though is an op, uh, this is an issue of uh, is it an issue of opinion? Does it depend on your opinion or is it a moral issue? Well, that's what I'm asking, right? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's important, right? It, it, it yes, absolutely. This comes this comes down to life. Yes, we're talking about life here, so that's Which is very significant. Impo- yes, <laughs> everyone is significant. Yeah, and we know, like in the Bible, it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Mm. But then that's the thing. I'm like, but some people cannot naturally have kids. Like they've tried, you know, there are just things. Yeah. Look, we're going to have to leave it there for this discussion. Um, let us know your thoughts. Yeah, Text let us, us know your thoughts. Give us a call on 1-800-324-843 um, if you have something to say. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is interview of the daytime and joining us on the phone this morning is Renee Livingston. Renee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lyle. Happy to be here. Renee, you're filling in for uh, Camilla Scaff. Camilla is our health director here for the uh, the Adventist Church in the North New South Wales region. And Mm -hmm. you've got a background in health as well. So I just thought I'd I'd, I'd introduce you to our listeners, share a little bit about your background. So, Renee, you're a naturopath and herbalist. Is that correct? Yep. So naturopath for the last... 14 years or so. I studied in Sydney at the Australasian College of Natural Therapies and have a Bachelor of Health Science through University of New England. Fantastic. And you've got some fairly extensive um, experience working in health retreats and that kind of uh, scene as well, I understand. Yeah. So my first job was down on the south coast at a health retreat called Cedarvale. And so I worked there for about five or six years um, and from then moved into a variety of different clinical practices with Generally, a range of other health practitioners as well, so a bit of a multidisciplinary practice. Um, and yeah, the last one that I was working at was here in Newcastle. Um, I was there for about six years or so and then had my kids and have since been off on some maternity leave, but still, you know, always got my finger in the pie as far as health goes because it's so practical for, you know, your personal benefit, your family benefit and yeah, friends and things like that as well. So. Yeah, still doing a bit of work. And, and I hear that you are also uh, now have become the director of a private school. Is that correct? Uh, I'm homeschooling. <laughs> that's why. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the director I'm, of a I'm private now the school. Principal of a school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you know the health subjects are. High on the priority list there too, let me tell you. <laughs> ah, fantastic. Great stuff. Well, I don't think we've ever had a herbalist on the show before. So mm-hmm. um, can you share with us a little bit about what a herbalist does? Yeah, sure. So I'm here to dispel a few myths actually as well because often people hear the word herbalist and it brings up all sorts of connotations for different people. So straight away you get people off the bat just thinking about hippies and weed smoking and then you get people, the foodies, just thinking about garnishes and things like that. Um, and then you get people thinking about environmental tree huggers and that type of thing. So there's a whole range um, as far as the spectrum goes, what people think about when they think of herbalists. But essentially herbalists are people who uh, study a variety of different botanicals or plants and um, figure out what 
they're used for medicinally, so for different therapeutic purposes, whether it be for, you know, assisting blood sugar or it's an antiseptic or it helps the body's detoxification organs. Um, so there's a whole range of different benefits that you can gain from plants depending on what components and what constituents the plants contain. So there's a lot of research that's gone into a variety of different plant materials um, looking at what kind of phytochemicals they contain. So that's basically just the, the chemicals or components that are found in the plant that have uh, beneficial effects on our bodies. Um, so, yeah, herbs are really a powerhouse for a range of different, like your macro and micronutrients. So looking just at carbohydrates, proteins, fats, as well as things like vitamin C or magnesium, calcium, uh, as well as then having these other additional phytochemicals that the plant perhaps sometimes uses for its own self-defense um, to deter other bugs uh, or to help its immune system. And then these uh, components can be utilized by our system to have similar effects. So, yeah, herbalists basically just uh, see people, hear what their conditions are or what kind of issues they may have, and then they'll prescribe particular plants that will help uh, cleanse, heal, support, whatever it may be, the particular condition that someone's come along with. Now, so this is a question that goes through my mind just listening to uh, what you're sharing there. If we look at the active um, agent, so to speak, in a particular herb, is that mm -hmm. often then uh, the drugs that, say, a doctor would prescribe? So let's say I go down to the local GP and he prescribes a number of drugs, um, would those drugs be using an active agent that at some particular point originated in some kind of plant somewhere in the world um, sometimes? Yeah. yeah, that's very common. So we see that in like some of the heart medications as well as just um, basic aspirin uh, and painkillers with your Salix Alba. So there's a number of different plant constituents that are extracted and concentrated for pharmaceutical drugs. So the benefit with using it um, from the herb point of view and as a whole plant is that you get a lot of the other additional benefits with, you know, your macro and micronutrients as well as some of the other components that come along with that. So you might get um, a botanical that's very good as a pain reliever, but then it's also got anti-inflammatory components um, and it may have, you know, nervine sedative components as well. So you get... a a much broader benefit with the use of the herb. Yeah, that sounds really, really uh, fascinating. Why is it that we don't have more doctors then prescribing herbs if we can get multiple benefits from a herb, whereas we're just getting the singular benefit from a drug? Yeah, with the herbs, because they have a whole range of other benefits as well, generally the components are found in lower quantities in the herb, and for the pharmaceuticals, they're extracted and concentrated. So pharmaceuticals will definitely have more of a uh, like an immediate and a strong effect, whereas herbs can be a little bit slower to work. But in saying that, with a lot of our different herbs used for acute things, like if people are coming in with fever or cold or flu symptoms, uh, they do work quite rapidly as well. So it would be lovely to see herbs being used as the first line in a lot of cases. Um, but often people are just unsure of how to use them, where to get them, what they can be used for. Um, so, yeah, generally the education's not there. That's why we, we use a lot more pharmaceuticals as the first line, whereas 
you know, God's given us these wonderful plants and herbs to use. Uh, and they were given even in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, uh, with, along with the fruits for consumption. So they definitely, I feel as a herbalist that I'm a little bit biased, but they should be <laughs> our first line. Sure. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Now with, um, with your herbs, have you got a, do you have a cure there for COVID? COVID. <laughs> hey, look, this is, prevention is better than cure. This is true. This is very true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, everybody, look, everybody's looking for a cure for COVID right now. Is that's uh, right? Is there some? Okay. Well, let me let me ask it maybe a little bit more seriously. Is there something out there or certain herbs that are going to? Um, give us a boost to our immune system. I think one of the things that's been part, missing from the discussion around COVID is what we can do to, you know, it, it seems to strike down people who are weaker and have a weaker immune system, whereas people with a stronger immune system seem to be able to shake it off fairly quickly. Um, and so the, uh, the, the we haven't really had much of a discussion about the immune system and so forth. Are there, are there particular herbs yeah. that we could be using uh, when, you know, particularly if you know we have another flare up and we are a bit concerned about um covid yeah look our bodies have been designed to actually like we we're designed with that immune system that should be um sort of identifying invaders then uh soliciting the right uh reactions to help get rid of them to destroy them to excrete them from our body we've got a range of various detoxification organs like our liver kidney lungs so all of these things need to be working in an optimal state for our body to actually fight off infection and um, to live well. So I think the, like the old saying, prevention is better than cure, to actually assist those detoxification organs, to assist your immune system in being sharp and active in its responses is where we want to start. So Herbs alone aren't going to be the answer here, like I'm sure Camilla's already spoken about a range of different lifestyle contributors. So we, we really need to be looking at exercise um, frequency and intensity. We need to be looking at diet. We need to be looking at sunlight exposure. We need to be looking at how much sleep people are getting. So all those things are very important. And like I want to reinforce that that is the foundation. That's where we start. You need to be having those kinds of things in place first. Herbs then can really assist that further. So they're kind of like the booster on top of our basic lifestyle principles. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of herbs that can assist in this area. So garlic, for example, would probably be one of, you know, the first ones that come to mind as far as its benefit for the immune system and the fact that it is actually antimicrobial in and of itself. So meaning that it can help to target and destroy things like bacteria, um, viruses, fungi, um, parasites. So by you consuming garlic, so roughly having about two to three cloves of garlic per day um, as a preventative would be sufficient to kind of help the immune system really fend, fend off invaders and other pathogens. Um, and then if people do have something more acute, then you could be having two cloves of garlic three times a day. Um, but there's a range of other things as well, just working with the liver, with our liver being our major other than the skin, the liver being the major internal detoxification organ. And herbs that contain your bitter principle, they're really good for stimulating the liver's function and activity as far as detoxification goes. So in the Western diet, our palate 
generally doesn't like bitter principles. As soon as something's bitter, we're like, ah, that's disgusting. We don't want to eat that. We're, we're generally um, drawn to more sweet or salty uh, flavors. Uh, but yeah, there's a range of different herbs like uh, the dandelion root. So just the dandelion that you'd see growing on the lawn in your garden likely that gets the really nice soft um, fluffy seed head that you'll see kids blowing all the little uh, seed seed particles off. Mm-hmm. So the root of that plant, that's actually a very good bitter stimulant and bitter digestive. So it can help with things like indigestion, um, it can help with liver insufficiency, so if you're not producing enough bile to digest fat, or if your liver's just a bit sluggish, um, dandelion root is really, really good for that. So we'd use that in a tea form, so pick the dandelion root, chop up the root, sorry, pick the dandelion, chop up the root, boil it in a bit of water, and then you can drink uh, the liquid as a tea, uh, or you know, herbalists will make different tinctures as well, so uh, actually draw out the active um, in an alcohol base and then use that in a, in a medicinal like tincture form for dosing. Uh, but yeah, you can very easily just pick it, dry it, use it, uh, in teas and things like that as well. So yeah, getting your liver functioning, getting the garlic in, getting your immune system going. And then even other things like basil and oregano. So there's plenty of different culinary herbs that we just think, you know, make a plate look pretty by just dabbing a little bit of green on the top of our soup or on the side of the risotto or something like that. And often when people go to a restaurant and eat their meal, the garnish is left behind and the garnish is actually probably the most nutritious part of that meal. So just, you know, encouraging people to get a bit more basil on their plate, get a bit more oregano in, chop it into your salad. Um, with all the different aromatic oils that are in those herbs, it actually makes for a really delicious meal. So just to be able to chop those up and add those to things as opposed to using, you know, excessive amounts of salt or using, you know, stock powders and other uh, artificially produced uh, components to add to your food, just use the fresh herbs. It's amazing how, um, yeah, palatable they are and how delicious they can make a meal. So, yeah, they're probably the big ones. Oregano, basil, garlic, and then the dandelion root is very good too. It's absolutely fascinating. It sounds to me like you can almost go out into your into your backyard and dig medicines out of the lawn. Um, That's right. You really can. <laughs> you just need to be able to identify them correctly. That's the big one there. But there's plenty of herb identification books out there because depending on what region you live in too, there's different things that grow within your area um, that can be used medicinally. And, you know, we see our Indigenous groups using a lot of these plants and herbs um, in for their medicines as well. So the medicines that we require, they are really all around us, just growing in a variety of different places. So as a herbalist, where do you get the bulk of your medicines from? Do you grow them yourself or you know, is it just sort of like, is there a, uh, you know, a a version of a pharmacy where you can go and it's like, well, rather than getting pills, I'm going to get herbs this time? Yeah. Look, as far as clinical practice goes, you're mainly working with your herbal tinctures that are provided from a range of different companies that, you know, have herb farms that are growing these things. Um, And, you know, they're all then standardised and... You know, no chemicals, no pesticides, and they're bottled up for you. And then you can mix up your different tinctures depending on your patient requirements. 
Personally, I really, I studied naturopathy because I wanted to be able to use it in my everyday life. I wanted to be able to use it in a missionary type setting. I wanted to be able to just, you know, identify things, pick things, use things that are around me that are, you know, free, accessible to everyone. Um, so that was probably one thing that was somewhat disappointing about my course, finding out that, you know, it, it was herbal pharmacy is really the name for it. So although you still learn a lot about your herbs, I had no idea how to identify. Um, there was a few herbs that I knew how to identify, but on the whole, I would have no idea what it looked like. So I knew the name, I knew all the constituents, what it could be used for. Um, so I was very blessed with my first job being down at the health retreat on the South Coast um, in that they had a huge garden that they utilised for, uh, you know, they grew different veggies and their salad foods, but they also grew a lot of herbs there. And so I actually learnt a lot about comfrey and um, basil and just a whole range of horseradish, nasturtium, a whole range of different herbs that they had growing in their garden there and how to actually use them from the fresh plant. So it, as, uh, in addition to just being able to eat them fresh, you can also juice them, you can pulp them up and use them in creams, um, you can dry them and put them in oil and make oils, you can dry them and make teas. So we had a whole range of different herbs that we were um utilizing to make a range of different medicinal therapeutics, so to speak, uh, in the health retreat. And yeah, funny story, like I had all these different herbs that were hanging on lines in my house. So it was like a clothesline through the house with all these dried herbs hanging off it. My sister came to visit for the weekend and she walked in and was like, uh, Renee, what's going on here? Like, legal? <laughs> so I really got into like... Being able to identify the herbs, find out how to use them from their fresh form. Um, and yeah, it was amazing how potent and beneficial they were for a range of different things. So yeah, I think the more you get familiar with them, you learn about them, even just finding like a bit of a desktop book that goes through a range of different herbs, has a nice picture of what it can be used for. Um, or even starting with teas, that's a really good way to acquaint yourself with different herbs as well. So getting tea packets, seeing what herbs are in there and what they recommend it for. So it might be like a sleepy tea or a digestive tea, and you'll see the names of the different herbs written on the packet that can give you a bit of an idea of what you can use them for. Um, but yeah, my favorite way is probably just fresh herbs, picking them from your garden and using them on your food. And that's the other thing as well, like herbs can be so expensive to buy in their little packets from the shop, you get like a, you know, three sprigs of parsley and it's costing you like $3 or something. Whereas herbs are so easy to grow at home. You can grow them in pots. You can just throw them in other garden beds. You can have your veggie patch going. And yeah, we've just moved out onto property at the beginning of this year and we've got herbs in all sorts of places. I use them as hedges. I use them around my veggie patch for um, pest control. We pick them and use them in our salads and all sorts of things. So it's really something that we should be using every day in our um, ongoing diet as opposed to just the occasional pretty thing that we stick on a plate when guests come over. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Renee, uh, Renee Livingston, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. You have uh, started a whole slew of thoughts in my mind and questions I'd like to ask but we are way out of time but we do appreciate you joining us here and hopefully we'll get That's you back, on, back on again sometime 
wonderful. Thanks, Laura. We appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.